This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the art of charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some free ebooks and drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, including some episodes on breakups and relationship management. That's where all the basics are, so get a handle on that first. We've got boot camps running every single month here in Hollywood, California. Details on those at theartofcharm.com. Looking forward to meeting all you guys here at AOC. All right, today we're talking with my man, Aral Moody of The Art of Likeability. He came from the projects in Brooklyn and ended up at the White House as a keynote speaker and a young millionaire under 30. We're going to talk about how exposure is key to upward mobility in your life, how likability is the best short-term and long-term strategy for success, and how likability isn't about being fake, it's about better understanding human nature, which has a strong correlation with what we do here at AOC. We're also going to talk about how to better your work environment or client relationships through likability, as well as, of course, how to apply this stuff through your personal life as well. And then we'll wrap with a fashion tip from Aaron Marino. So enjoy this one with Arl Moody of The Art of Likeability. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Excited about our talk. Good. Yeah, me too. I didn't realize you were such a baller, you know, looking at your prep here. Well, keynote speaker at the White House. I Damn, snuck son. I snuck in. I snuck in. You snuck in. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody noticed. They thought you worked there. So <laughs> Exactly. And then you just... Surprisingly, security is not as good as you think it is. Right. And then it was like, <laughs> excuse me, you just shuffled past Joe Biden like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the keynote if you don't mind. No problem. Take a seat, Joe I gotcha. Yeah. But now I appreciate you saying that, man. It's a, it was a huge honor to speak at the White House, honestly. So very, 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 very excited and proud of it. That is very cool. I mean, I, I can. I mean, where do people when was this? Uh, 2011 and 2012. OK, because it's kind of funny. Like, I mean, they were like, there's another black guy at the White House. What's going on? <laughs> he must be related to Barack Obama. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Um, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So how's that for a first impression? Making off-color jokes immediately two minutes into the conversation. Let's is do it, it. Is that a tactic of likability? Is that the opposite of what you teach at the Art of Likeability? It's actually uh, lesson number three, so you're good. Lesson, okay, good. So I'm ahead of the game. Excellent. <laughs> That's great. And I mean, you've also got your podcast, The Art of Likeability. You've contributed to Forbes. You gave yeah. a TEDx talk. You are on, And what I love is you're on the Inc. Magazine 30 Under 30, which is a good list because... It limit it's limited to the quote unquote top thirty under thirty. It's not like there's four hundred and fifty eight people on it. You know those lists where you're like, right. yeah, you're on that list. Who cares? Everybody's on that list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I mean, that for me, honestly, man, when I was starting out, that was like the uh, the equivalent of the Emmys or you know the Oscars or something. So it, it was a huge honor to to finally make that list uh, two years, three years ago now. Yeah, that's now you're just old. <laughs> now, yeah, now I can't make anything. Right. <laughs> I think, uh, no, now, no. now, once you once you hit thirty, I feel like everything you accomplish, people are like you're, you're supposed to. Right? You know I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, of course you're successful. You're thirty four. If you weren't, you'd be a, just a loser like everybody else. Yeah, I know. So now I got to find a new advantage. Before it was like I'm the young guy. You got to give me a shot. It was like, wow, this is so great. Now it's like you're an adult with a wife and a kid. Make things happen. Right. 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 Like if you're not doing it, you're just behind everyone. No, it's it's funny because yeah. I I totally feel that same way. I was looking at a bunch of my friends uh, at this event and they were speaking and stuff. And I was like, man, these guys are killing it. Their businesses are all like multi seven figure, which is awesome. I mean, uh, luckily we can compete in that range, but I'm like, they're good speakers. They've got great content. It's all original. They're so cool. Like I just really envy these guys. And I was like, wait a minute. They're all like 41, 42. 
they're not really my age. Even the guys that are 38, 39, they've got like five years on me. And I'm thinking, where was I five years ago? I was kind of just like a punk with a show that was chugging along. And now it's like, <laughs> what? You know, totally beyond my wildest dreams. So I'm thinking, great. Well, in five to 10 years, I'll totally be up on that stage. I don't have to like constantly compare myself. And that's something that I think, and that's a tangent, but I think a lot of people of your age, my age, we do that to ourselves a lot. It's like the more, the, all the higher achievers that I know, we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. And it's so poisonous because yeah. it's like, we're never happy. We're like, man, you know, this guy, and it's not like we're trying like, oh man, Errol Moody, what a dick he got. You know, he spoke at the white house. It's like, you're, you're happy for your friends. But on the other hand, you're kind of like, man, I never spoke at the White House. I'm a failure. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so funny you say that because um, when your friends are really high achievers, typically, you know, you've got a little bit of the alpha male, you know, personality trait. So it's like you're happy, but it's like I can't let them outdo me. So whenever someone like, you know, like I had a friend write for Forbes, so I was like. I got to write for Forbes. Like that's literally how the desire <laughs> to write for Forbes yeah. came about. Cause I was like, I got good content. And if he's doing it, I, I love him. He's my best friend, but I got better content than this guy. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's so it's good to have that circle of friends that drive you that kind of way. You know, that's why I'm going to do a TEDx talk on like ability and then go speak at the white house. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. I just want you to know your place. Earl. That's it. That's all hey, I'm asking. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go. Right. Excellent. But you didn't, you didn't always start off with high achieving friends. I mean, you had a, a, you grew up basically in a project in Brooklyn. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It started on the projects, um, in, uh, Canarsie in Brooklyn. So it was, uh, you know, it was the inner city. It was, you know, raised on public assistance and everything. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I like ability is, um, now, I mean, I can only realize this, like looking back on the last 10 years of my life. But, you know, like when I first started, I didn't like it's not like I it's not like I had a podcast that was like a top rated podcast where I could reach out to someone and be like, hey, you should connect with me and be on my show. And the person's like, well, of course I want to. You're doing a cool thing. It's like you have to really build up. You know, I had nothing to offer people except, you know, my my desire, my hunger and my, you know, hopefully uh, personality. And I realized how much of that uh, played a huge part in how business got developed and how things grew up and. Um, so it, 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 you know, hopefully by, by living the life that I'm living, I'm, I, I would love to, to be an example for a lot of people from the inner city that, you know, you can go in a lot of different directions. You don't have to stay in the hood. You don't have to become a rapper or actor or, or you know, sports player or whatever. There are a lot of other options. And, but if you're Shaq, you can do all three at the same time. You know, some people are just that good. Shazam. You know? And I remember he had a brief rap career and NBA. You know what? Shaq is ridiculous, though. He also has his doctorate, which not a lot of people know about. Really? Him. But is that okay? Really? He got his EDD. It's not a. It's not an honorary doctorate. He okay, got his that was my question. He got his EDD. Like totally went through the process. Wrote his dissertation. He wrote his dissertation on laughter. Um, so he's he's a bad man. A lot of people like he jokes around. They don't take him serious. But that that you know that's a bad man right there. That is that is awesome. I had no idea. I had no idea because I figured when he, you said he has a doctorate, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he walked into University of Michigan and they were like, you're really tall. Here's a Ph.D. Thanks for showing up to the commencement. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, man, the boy put in work. He put in work. You can look it up online. It's pretty impressive. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about being as likable as, as Shaq or maybe just as likable as you and I uh, here in a minute. But I definitely want to go back to. Your your upbringing. I mean, when you were on welfare in the projects of Brooklyn, what was it in you that made you go, I don't want to be here anymore, but also I can get out of here and do amazing things? Because I know not everybody's like, hey, the project's not so bad. It's okay. Everybody wants to get out of there, but most people don't. Mm -hmm. How come you did? You know, I think it's, it's a combination of a couple ideas. Um, one is you have to hit a snapping point. And I think that sometimes when the uh, you get hit with the crap storm, uh, whether it's you know being picked on or bullied or whatever it might be, a lot of times people don't ever acknowledge how bad it actually is. So on a personal level, I had to get to a point where I was like, you know what, under no circumstances will I continue to be in this environment. Um, you know, I was gonna like, well, can I sell drugs? And I'm like, no, I don't really have the personality of a drug dealer. 
you know, am I going to make it to the NBA? You know, love playing sports, but just not that talented at it. So, you know, for me, college was the only way I could see myself getting out um, of my neighborhood. So I put my focus towards getting into college. Uh, so that was like the personal side of it. But the more um, the elemental side to it was exposure. Um, one of the things that I think I was very, very lucky about is that my mom, she did her best to um, like any free program that the city was offering, like after school or clubs, she would find it and put me in it. So I had the opportunity to see things like I saw the neighborhoods that had the big houses in it. I saw the cars that were nice. I saw people who looked like me and talked like me who were working, you know, at a a nice job and came in to speak to our, you know, summer camp. So that exposure gave me the ability to say it's a possibility. It's possible. And I think without that belief, I probably wouldn't have even desired to do it because I wouldn't have known. So that's why it's so important for people to be exposed and to see certain things, because, you know, if they see a, a gentleman like yourself being successful and they relate to Jordan in some shape, form or fashion, then it makes it more real that I can do it. Because if Jordan's like me and Jordan's doing it, I can do it. So for me, it was seeing people who look like me at those summer programs and everything that made me say it's possible. And then, you know, that's just the path I chose to go after like a like a hungry dog on a bone. Nice. Fortunately for you, you don't look like me. But, um, <laughs> you, you know, the other, the other question I have in all seriousness is, is how much of a role did race play in this? Because you kind of hinted at that, see people that look like you and talk like you. When you were sure. growing up, did you, when you were in the projects, did you grow up around, were there white people there or were you kind of like black people are poor, white people work in Manhattan and have nice things? You know, it was, it was a very, you know, race identity was a huge part of my, my life and personal struggles um, probably up until my second year of college. Um, I came from a unique background where I grew up in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. You know, everybody was pretty much black. Uh, my father is African-American, uh, probably the blackest man you'll ever meet in your life. And, <laughs> okay. Um, my, my mom is a white Jewish woman. So, no way. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So for me, it was sometimes I, w- I just I never fit in. Like I was never black enough for the white kids and never white enough for the black kids or, or you know, vice or versa. Vice versa, yeah. Versa. Um, so I, it was a huge identity. You know, there was no one who looked like me besides my brother. You know, I didn't even know like people were mixed besides me. So I felt like, well, at least the black people have their friends that they can hang out with. At least the white people have their friends like who do I have? I got nobody, you know? Um, and now you're um, like, I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> so you don't care. <laughs> yeah. But you know, what's cool about it is that what really happens is that it's just a matter of playing the cards that are uh, dealt to you. Now I realize that I can have the best of both where I always could have and anyone can, but you know, as an adult, I know how to, you know, relate to different uh, cultures because I was exposed to them. So I think again, going back to exposure is very, very important. All right, back to the show. That's great. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because otherwise it's really easy, especially if you don't have money to to travel or even just to go into different parts of town and do stuff. You just kind of hang out in your neighborhood and you see this all the time. It's like the stereotype. The kids in the projects hang out on the playground. They hang out on the stoop. They walk around their neighborhood playing in the street. And, you know, you don't really see a whole lot of that just as you don't see a whole lot of where I grew up in Detroit, a whole lot of white suburban kids driving through the inner city neighborhoods unless unfortunately they're looking for drugs or something like that there's no reason to go down there because your parents tell you not to they don't go down there with you there's nothing to do down there that you'd want to do so you stay in your own community and you stay isolated and and that's bad for upward mobility yeah you know it's it's really i think that um there's always something to be taken advantage of based on your situation you know as i look back at it i think for me, now, I would never, ever want to go through it again, but the fact that I grew up in the projects actually has been one of my greatest assets um, because it's that, you know, everyone loves that Jay-Z story. Everybody loves that rags to riches, started from the gutter, came out the gutter. You know, I think Drake says started from the bottom, now we heal, whatever it might be. Um, so that kind of became my identity. You know, I started embodying the idea that I'm going to represent the American dream. And 
I may not have been able to do that if I was born in a different situation. I'd have to have a different identity. So that identity drove me. So it allowed me when I was in places to meet people and say, hey, look, I'm just a kid from the projects, but I want to do something positive. By breaking the mold of what a lot of people saw, I also think that gave people an additional reason to want to help me and want to mentor me and want to see me succeed because they're like, yo, this kid might be a little bit different. And I think, you know, that was the card I was dealt and I could have played the no one loves me. I'm in a bad place, which is 100 percent true. Or I could play, you know, I'm in a bad situation and people want to help me succeed, which also is 100 percent true. It's just a matter of what side of the coin you look at. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and so wh- what role does likability play in this? I mean, obviously, it's it's about who you know, and it's also about who likes you. Right. So okay. is let's talk about the likability factor. I mean. What got you interested in that? Was it because you were thinking, well, you know, I don't have a lot of the trimmings of the people I'm going to be competing against. So what I can do is get get where I want to go by being somebody that everybody likes and enjoys being around. I mean, where's the where was your logic there? Did you just stumble upon this? Yeah, you know, the likability thing, like the idea of likability didn't really come together in my brain until I looked back on my entire journey. Um, I was having some conversations with friends and, you know, some of the things that would come up is like, well, Arel, you know, you can walk into a room and, you know, everyone feels like they're your best friend immediately. And I would say, oh, well, you know, thank you for saying I appreciate that. And I would shrug it off because on the inside, what I was really saying is, well, I focused on that for so long because I had nothing else to offer. So when people were complimenting me on it, I kind of felt insecure about it because I was like, well, if I had a million dollar company like this guy, or if I was a you know, influential politician like this person, then it would be a lot easier for me. But I don't have any of that. So I have to like trick people into wanting to you know, think I was of significance by making them feel like I was a, a likable person. And you know, when you have a skill set, when you have something inside of you that's a talent, you never notice it as a talent. You probably shun it. You push it off for a long time. And and what I realized is that when I first started, you know, um, one of the, the first things I did is I reached out to a gentleman uh, named Michael Simmons, who's a really successful young entrepreneur. I had oh, read his book. I just talked with him yesterday. Of course you did. Michael knows everybody. Yeah. Michael is, uh, gosh, he just, he's the man. He's just a great connector and great human being. Um, and he, I read his book when I was in college. So I reached out to him and I said, listen, man, you know, I'm just a, a kid in school trying to make things happen. I'd love to, uh, you know, connect with you one day. And he said, yeah. So I said, oh, man. I was like, well, you know, like this dude, this author, this entrepreneur is giving me his time. What, what could I possibly give him? And I was like, well, I can't pay him. I can't, you know, I can't introduce him to anyone. So I figured if I can just learn and be a sponge and find out what a good you know, almost protege mentor relationship looks like, um, maybe he'd be willing to help. And, you know, from there, I, you know, we became really good friends. We became business partners. Um, and I met a lot of amazing people, um, through, through him, through other networks. And every time that I went there, I went with the mentality of, I don't have anything when I started. And and to this point, I still come with this mentality to an extent, like I don't have much to offer people except wanting to genuinely be the best I can be for them. So if they have knowledge, I want to learn from them. You know, because most people, when they ask for advice, and you probably get this too, like a lot of times when people are trying to get advice from you or or trying to learn from you, they spend the first like, I don't know, 90% of the conversation trying to impress you by how amazing they already are. And it's like, why are you asking me for help if you're just trying to like tell me how cool you are for the, like, it's just, it's a waste of time. Yes. So by realizing those things, it's like, well, let me change my approach because I realized that's not working for others. And it was just really trying to figure out what's the best approach with people. And then I realized that that approach was really what the idea of likability is. Now back to the good stuff. Okay, interesting. So is this just a short-term strategy? I mean, or is this something that is... I guess I don't really understand. Is it a long-term strategy? Is it a short-term strategy? Is it something you just do temporarily? You know, it's really, it's really the best. Um, I think of it like this. When somebody has a, um, uh, when they first meet you, they decide within the first couple of minutes or seconds whether you're someone that they want to continue conversing with. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a very short attention span. There's so many people that we can actually spend time with. Um, so what, 
you realize is if you know what likability is, and likability honestly is about how to connect with people in the best fashion, in the quickest and most long, uh, and have the most longevity with it. So if when I first meet someone, I understand that I need to be more interested in them than trying to impress them with how I am. In the short term, I get them to want to continue that relationship with me. If they continue that relationship with me, then over time, I figure out, again, it's all about approach. One of the things about likability is not how do I get the most from this person, it's how do I help this person or make them feel like their time and energy was worthwhile with me so that they want to do that more. So in essence, in the long term, I'm trying to give, 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 and then that person can't want to help but see you succeed. So in the short term, you get to build close relationships with people and they give you a shot, and then in the long term, they want to bust their butt to see you succeed because they're like, gosh, I like this person. Like they, when I talk, like I give them advice and they actually do action on the advice that I gave them. That's amazing. You know, and that like a simple thing like that, um, builds a very, very strong long-term relationship. So it's not about tricking people or throwing the wool over people's eyes or trying to be someone that you're not. It's about finding out what's the best approach to build real relationships, getting over that first initial hump and then having a long-term relationship. And, you know, one of the things that's crucially important to likability more than anything else is that if you don't genuinely care, like I can teach you all the strategies in the world, but if you are a horrible person, that eventually will go. <laughs> right, because it, people see through it or, or it's just totally. so obvious and apparent. Totally. Like, I mean, if someone, like someone can pull the wool over your eyes for a little bit, like you meet them in a little bit and you go, wow, that was a really cool person. But after a while, who that person is will shine. And if someone ever feels duped, if someone ever feels like you were not being genuine with them, you know, it takes years to build a reputation and five seconds to destroy it. Ask Tiger Woods or Chris Brown or R. Kelly or any of these people who spent years in the public eye being the darling of humanity. They made one poor choice and they'll never really recover from it the same way. So it's much easier to be a good human being and a good person and over time learn how to increase your likability skills to not be someone that you're not but show people who you already are. Excellent. So it's not even it's not it's the best short-term strategy and the best long-term strategy because it constantly gives you returns. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is it possible to then have, and this is an obvious rhetorical question, but is it possible to have everyone like you? I mean, there's always going to be people who don't like you, right? I mean, you can't, if you're going to be authentic and not fake about it, and we'll talk about that in a minute, it's, it's going to be impossible at some point to have everybody, to have that land with everybody. Because unless you're being a chameleon where you're doing one thing with one person and a totally different thing with another, you're just not going to click with some people. Absolutely. You know, and that, and that's one of the biggest mistakes when, you know, I started when I first started. And then when I start teaching people about this, one of the common missteps that I see over and over and over again is that people try to say, well, this likability stuff. So it'll work with everybody. So they'll find themselves in a situation bending or, you know, not truly being their authentic self because they care more about likability. The, the truth is you can increase your likability. You can learn how to have individuals across the board like you more. But you have to understand that no matter what you do, and I, 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 I just know this, I have no scientific evidence, but it's just my uh, anecdotal existence as evidence. 5% of the people you meet will hate you no matter what oh, you do. That's, that's brutal. It's just a guaranteed fact of life. I mean, I, you know, the analogy I might give you to think about is people hated Martin Luther King Jr. And like now we look back and go, that was a pretty good dude. And people like violently hated him. People hated Gandhi. Like some of the most peaceful, amazing people in the world had large groups of people hating them. So you have to assume that you're going to be no better than that. So the goal is to really build the likability so that you understand basic human dynamics, things like people like when you put the focus on them. People want to know that you're listening to them, not just waiting for your chance to speak. These type of things are very simple and increase your likability. But no matter what you do, there's going to be people who um, will just hate you just because of principle or the truth is there's also a percentage of people based on as the better you do the more jealous they become. And either A, they can step their own game up or they can bring you down 
to their level. And it's a lot easier to destroy a building than it is to construct one. So when you realize that, when you meet someone that you're not getting along with, instead of trying to bend and break and become someone that you're not, just say this person's part of my 5% and move on to being your authentic self. Excellent. So you don't, you just you just accept it as this sort of like a it's you got to be tolerant. It's like a margin of error or risk tolerance. Like you're going to lose some money in the stock market. You're going to go and gamble and you're willing to lose 100 bucks and it's all part of the game and you don't go, "Oh no." Cuz it becomes really easy to focus on those people, right? Totally. I mean, think about it like this. Like, imagine you get dressed up and you look at, you know, you bought your, your best outfit and you're going out and you look, you're ready to, to, to spend a night out on the town and everyone's telling you how good you look. And then one person goes, ew, why did you match those shoes with that jacket? That one comment is what you remember. You've been said a thousand positive comments. So it's about consciously being able to rewire your brain to say, that one negative comment, that's part of my 5%. And once I started doing that, it was easy for me to let go of trying to make everyone happy or, or everyone like me. Now, if I started saying like, hey, everyone I meet is not liking me, I need to do self-reflection and, and readjust. But if I'm being my authentic self and you know using the things of likability, a lot of things we talk about in the podcast and such, then you should have a large majority of people liking you more. So if someone says something, you just have to consciously say, I'm putting that person in my 5% bucket, and then it's a lot easier to move on. Excellent. Great. So it's not about being fake. It's about understanding human nature, right? It's about, and, yeah. and what do you mean by that? I mean, what sort of things are we looking at in terms of being, in terms of understanding human nature? You know, so a lot of people say like, oh, well, you know, if I want to be more likable, like, I, you know, if someone either likes me or they don't like me, that's just the way it is. And I'm like, well, you know, that doesn't make sense because... I, the way I approach everything is from the mentality of um, like being a professional athlete, if you will, is a good example. You take the best athlete in the world, whoever you love, they still practice and look to improve every single day at their craft. So they're still at the gym. They're still working out. The best players don't just say, well, I'm good. I either score or I don't score. So I think of human dynamics in the same way that there's certain aspects of human nature that if you understand, you can practice and get better at. So it's not about like, oh, well, you know, I'm a jump shooter, so I'm never going to pass the ball because I don't want to be fake. It's like, no, you're just adding to who you are. So you start with what your baseline is, and then you say, all right, well, how do I understand what humans really want? What, what is basic things? And some of the most, the most powerful things is, you know, uh, I call it, uh, you know, to be interesting, you have to be interested. The majority of people never get a chance to talk about themselves. M most people spend the whole time talking about themselves to other people. And other people don't really listen. They respond by talking more about themselves. It's like I'm confident if, Jordan, you met someone and – you tell them, hey, you know, I got this podcast, it's called The Art of Charm, you know, and you start talking about it, they won't even let you finish. They'll probably cut you off and be like, well, you know, I always wanted to start a podcast too, and I, you know, me and my friends are really funny. And it's like, they didn't even take the time to be more interested in what your podcast was about because they wanted to then impress you with their, whether introductory podcast or their desire for it. So when you remove that, you say, well, hey, let me become more interested in people and go, wow, let me be, let me shine. I always say that you should be a Sherlock Holmes whenever you meet someone. You should assume that every single person that you're about to meet is the most interesting human being in the world. And it's your job to find out why this particular person is uniquely interesting. So when you meet someone, it's not about impressing them with what you've done. I've actually been able to impress, you know, individuals and build great relationships with them. And then like maybe a week later, they realize they don't really even know anything about me because the whole time the spotlight was put on them. I was learning more about, oh, you're into origami. That's crazy. I never met anyone in origami. How do you fold paper to the, get that swan that I see? And you put all the attention on them. So it's not really about you becoming someone that you're not. It's understanding what we want as humans. We want to be understood. We want people to be interested in us. We want people to care about us. So by giving people that, you allow who you are to be 100% authentic, but 
you're not saying once I'm good, I'm good. You're saying I can get better. I can learn how to ask more interesting questions. I can learn how to not sound like an interrogator when I'm asking all my questions, which is also important. You don't just want to, you know, machine gun off a bunch of questions at someone. So when you learn how to build that skill, you become better the same way an athlete becomes better at their craft. And I think likability and human dynamics is the same thing. You can get better at your craft. You know, it's funny you should mention that that the athletes and people who are the best at what they do are never done. They can always get better at their craft because I get a lot of people who go, oh, yeah, you know, it's really interesting what you do. Too bad I don't need it because I'm married. And I'm thinking to myself, so what we, teach, <laughs> what we teach in our live programs in L.A. is relationship development, essentially a lot of the likability stuff as well, uh, attraction, things like that. So right now what you're saying is, you're in the most important relationship that you will ever be in in your whole life with your wife. So now you don't need to work on it at all anymore. And they're, and when you phrase it that way, they're just like, because uh, it's like you can learn this stuff and you can meet a bunch of girls and hang out with them, go out with them a couple of times, sleep with a few of them, whatever you want to do. But it's, you know, that's OK. You know, it doesn't really matter. You can do that. But when you're married, that's when the stakes are actually really high. Mm. because if you screw that one up, it ruins your whole life and and that of your children. Right. So it's amazing to me. It's kind of like, it would be like if you walked in, uh, to, uh, to some place and you see all these fitness guys and you're like, damn, you guys must work out all the time. And they're like, no, we worked out a couple of years ago and then we were done. You know, (laughs) it would just, you, that would never happen. You'd never go to the gym, get really fit and go, well, uh, I'm never coming back here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. People will apply that same principle to their own life over and over and over in pretty much every single other area. It's it's shocking. It's it's honestly when I talk to people, I just can't get I can't wrap my brain around how you can ever think you're done. Like, what are you ever done with? What what can't you become better at? Like, I mean, so I do a lot of public speaking and I travel a lot and people say, well, yeah, you know, people listen to me. I'm a really good speaker. I can do exactly what you do. And I'm like, well, you should totally do it then. And then they're like, yeah. And I was like, well, what's my first step? And my response is always, you've got to get really good at speaking before you can like make a lot of money from it. You have to become good at it. They're like, oh no, I'm already good. And I'm like, as soon as you say that, I know that you're not the right person for me to talk to. Because if your mentality is I'm already good, you're never going to be the greatest you can be. If you don't constantly work on your craft, you don't constantly go over the basics, you're going to fail. And, and I think that – I don't know who said this, Russ. I'd give him credit. But it was like the opposite of happiness is not sadness. The opposite of happiness is complacency. You know, When you have no desire to go up or down, nothing's happening. Yeah, so it's basically the idea that if you are um, – People say, well, uh, I'm good enough. Like, I'm, like, for example, those are the people who want to speak. They say, well, yeah, well, you know, I'm a good speaker, so I'm ready to go. And as soon as you think that you're good, you, you get complacent. You have to constantly remind yourself to get hungry, to want to, to, to be driven. And any individual that stops that is on the beginning of the failure that they're about to experience six months down the line. So a lot of people say, when did it all go wrong? It's typically when someone became complacent and didn't want to keep traveling and uh, traveling upward with their uh, skill sets. Perfect. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And a lot of that's ego based. You know, I'll get emails from guys that are like, hey, I really love your podcast and I'm really interested in your stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know tons of girls and girls love me and everyone at work loves me and my job is awesome. And, you know, everything about my life is perfect. But anyway, I really like your content. And I'm thinking to myself, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are you trying to get are you trying to get me to like you by telling me all that stuff? Because you just sound like a knucklehead who doesn't see his own blind spots at all or know that he even has them. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and that and that's the, the biggest challenge people are gonna face is being able to let go of their ego and realize, you know, once you can say, Hey, like, you know, I, I learn from people or hey, I read books or hey, I get mentorship, there's there's nothing wrong with that. The, everyone who's successful does, it's the people who aren't don't realize that that's a normal part of life. Yeah, I 100%, man. We are definitely on the same page there. So h- how do we apply this likability stuff that, that we're just now uncovering, which we talk about? It's funny because we talk about this is like the whole basis of the art of charm, right? But how do we apply this stuff? How would you tell us to apply this stuff to our work environment or client relationships, things like that in a professional sense? And we'll get to the personal stuff afterwards. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing how much this stuff really is the difference because people 
do business with individuals they know, they like, and they trust. If they don't know you, they don't like you, they don't trust you, you're, you're, you're in a tough situation. And, you know, one of the things that I would say is like, imagine you sell whatever you sell. Let's say it's, uh, you know, trinkets. There's probably a thousand other people who sell the exact same trinkets as you do. So, so what's going to be the differential between why someone chooses to come with you? And um, an exercise that um, I love to tell people to do who don't think that the likability is, is that important. They're like, well, we have great products. We have great service. I say, all right, you know, make a list of all the reasons why someone will buy from you right now and make a list of all the reasons someone would buy from your competitor. Now, I want you to imagine you got fired from your job and you got hired by your competitor. Would that list look the same to you? And it probably would. It's the same benefits. It's the same things. But why do I go with you? Why do I choose you over somebody else? So it's understanding that, you know, the essence of likability is understanding people, empathizing with people and showing people that you care. When you can do those things, people will like you in a personal or professional setting. So when you're saying, all right, well, how do I do this to build my business or how do I do this to close more sales? I honestly believe that if your goal is to find out what your customers need, what their real wishes are, then you can serve them at a much better level. You know, the the classic example that's given to shift people's mindset is that when someone wants to buy a drill from you, they're not really wanting to buy a drill. They want to buy holes. And what they really don't want to do is buy holes. What they want to do is hang something in those holes. So if you can spend the time to show that you care, that you've done your research, that you want to see them succeed, you may have to sell them something less and make less of a profit in the short run, in a short term. But that's the longest term profit that you will ever make because that person probably will come back to you. They'll say, oh, my God, I know the guy. I know the best guy. They're going to send all their friends there. So likability is something that when we just look at, well, I want my product to sell itself or I want my service to be good enough as is that's going to be a huge limiting factor because if I like you and you're my guy or my girl, like, you know, for most people, your goal is to be like, you need someone, I got a guy. You want to become that guy to whomever buys from you. And the only way you do that is by caring, by, you know, a lot of the things that the the art of charm would teach you about, you know, connecting with people a hundred percent applies to business relationships. Um, you know, one of the things that's very important to me with likability is I listen to find out about something that someone likes. And then what I might do is at a later point, either A, if it's appropriate, bring it up in casual conversation, or B, send them some sort of gift that's relevant to it. So if somebody really tells me about how much they like um, this new video game that came out, you know, whether it's Black Ops, whatever it might be, if I really know they like it and if it's an appropriate setting, I might buy that game for them and send it to them and said, hey, I heard you talking about this game, here's a gift. You know, if I can't afford, like if you're in a position you can't afford it, I may look up a fact about block ops and then bring that up casually in a conversation. Now, it may seem like it has nothing to do with the business sale, but if that person feels like, wow, I like this person, this person's like me, they get it, they're into the same stuff I'm into, buying from you becomes so much easier and working with someone like you becomes such an easier decision to make. Yeah, because, well, one of the things we say often at The Art of Charm is that people buy you, right? They're not necessarily... Cause like you said, there's a million people selling trinkets, widgets, whatever, but they do business with people they like, people they know, people they trust. It's the exact same concepts. So, because I know that if I buy, if I have a choice between buying a trinket from you and a guy that I like and a guy that I trust, I don't have to worry about the product not working. And also, I get to make you feel good after you've made me feel good about, you know, black ops or whatever, for however other way, versus giving it to somebody who I don't care about at all and don't care about bringing value to and don't necessarily know that they're going to deliver because I don't trust them to do that. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely a kind of straightforward, simple approach when you think about it. If I have the option of buying from you and you're a stranger or buying from the other guy and he's my best friend, I'm buying from my best friend. So your mentality is, I want to become the best friend and trusted advisor of every single person I interact with. Great. And so how do we, how do, we do this? I mean, what are some practical ways we can do this? You mentioned mentioning facts about something or giving gifts. That's great. What, what else can we do? I know you've got a trick. Everyone is carrying a sign around their necks. What's that all about? Yeah, so this is a, um, a huge, huge, huge strategy that it can apply in so many different situations. So I want everyone to imagine from this point forward, 
every single person that you meet has a huge sign around your neck that reads, make me feel special. Every, uh, you know, assume everyone is starving and hungry for feeling special. And they've got this sign that says, make me feel special. So you have to ask yourself, what did I do in this interaction to make this person feel like they're the number one person? Um, here's a very uh, simple strategy that is vastly effective. It's about how you answer the phone. So uh, a lot of people might teach, like, answer the phone with a lot of energy and be like, hi, thanks for calling so-and-so. How may I help you? Because they want to show you're an energetic person. And that's actually the worst way to answer a phone, in my opinion, because it looks like you're a, you know, cracked out, you know, individual that's just like obsessing about phone calls. You know, instead, what you might do is answer the phone in a very even, calm uh, voice. You say, hi, thanks for calling. This is Aurel Moody. And then the person goes, hi, this is Jordan. You go, Jordan, what's going on, brother? How are you? It's so good to hear from you. What can I do for you? So what, what I did was I made my uh, introductory you know, message seem very calm and base, but that person just like hearing from them lit up my day. So you make that person feel like they're special. They're like, oh, wow, Aurel must really be happy to hear from me. And, and the truth is, I, I am. I'm not faking it. I'm, you know, if I'm connecting with someone about uh, anything that's worth my time, I'm going to be excited about. So it's, it's being authentic as well. Sure. But you have, to, you have to say, like, what am I going to do to make this person feel really, really special? You know, what questions do I have to ask? What's unique about their situation? Maybe they need something like, hey, maybe I need to throw in something I normally would never throw in for free, but I just know it would be a good fit. And I know they may not have the money for it right now. So let me go ahead and do that because I want them to realize how much I care about them. And the more an individual feels like you make them feel and treat them special, then you'll never have to worry about money. You'll never have to worry about friends. You'll never have to worry about happiness because you'll just be uh, hit with it from so many different angles. That makes a lot of sense because of course, you could always answer the phone like, hey, this is Jordan Harbinger. And then people, you're like, hey, this is all. And I'm like, hey, and I have the same energy level because I'm already at 11, right? But, <laughs> right. but if, if I answer like a normal human being and then I turn it up after that, it's you're, the, sub, the subcommunication there is I'm excited because I'm talking to you, not just I've taken a lot of amphetamines. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 100%. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And of course, it helps to be authentic you know, if you can manage to do that, right? I mean, you don't have to act like you're super stoked to hear from everybody, especially when you're not. Right. And, you know, it, it also has to be a level of appropriateness. Like if I had a 20 second conversation with you and then you call me back and I go, oh my God, it's so good to hear from you. Like that clearly is not, you know, authentic. That's not real. So you have to understand that your level of excitement, you have to kind of use your own judgment of how how much volume should I turn up? Like if it's an old friend, like if it's a client that you've done business with for five years, like turn it all the way up. That's your, that's your boy. That's your, that's your friend. But if it's someone new, you may go, Oh man, Hey, thanks so much for calling. I was just thinking about if, if it's true. Like I was just thinking about you, you know? So I, I still got excited, but I wasn't at a level 15, but you should always make someone feel like their phone call is like the most prized possession of you in that moment. Excellent. So the sign is the person is walking around with a sign on their neck that says, make me feel special. So you just have to like, it's, a, it's something that you have to bring to the front of your attention because it's a lot of these things are easy. You know, it's something called the slight edge. It's easy to do. It's easy to not do. You know, it's, oh yeah, make people feel special. Totally. I got that. That makes perfect sense. It's easy to not do that. But if you like visually see like a bunch of people with these big, bright, you know, pink chains with signs of neon lights saying, please make me feel special. You know, my boyfriend just made me feel bad. Please make me feel special. My boss just yelled at me. Please make me feel special. You know, my mom doesn't, you know, return my phone calls. Like you could be the light in someone's life, but you need to be reminded of that. And uh, to me, the visual of seeing a sign around someone's neck, you know, requesting it for various different reasons gives me the desire to say, I want to be that light in that person's life that they may not have for whatever reason. Excellent. So does this work in terms of, I mean, it's easy to get people to quote unquote like you while you're there. Are, are these impressions going to last or is it just kind of like, ah, that person was nice. I mean, how do we give it the extra little push where they're like, I want to tell people about how nice Errol really is, you know, or Jordan really is because there's, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a difference between yeah. everyone, everyone finding you 
personable and polite and nice and then people going, you are the man. Yeah, you know, I think it's really, um, it's kind of sad that I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but it's just true about society. Um, breaths of fresh air are newsworthy conversations. Like, I mean, think about if you've ever been in a, a restaurant and someone was like really, really nice to you, or like the bus driver had like a huge smile on his face, or the taxi driver was truly genuine. Like, you can't help but want to tell someone like, man, I met the nicest person today. Because we meet so many people that are, are really just black smoke and smog and, and, and gross in our lives that when you're that person that does that, and then if you have any kind of consistent exposure, um, it's a matter of, I mean, the best place to be in is when multiple people will say great things about you because that's who you are. You know, like earlier in our conversation, I mentioned um, my friend Michael and you were like, wow, yeah, I just spoke to Michael. So there was like a connection of, wow, you know how cool he is. I know how cool he is. We're, he has no idea we're having this conversation about him, but here we are talking about him behind his back in a positive way. And I think that the idea is consistency. The more consistent you are with it, people say, oh, well, like, you know, if I'm just personable, does that change the game? If you do it once, no. But if literally every single interaction you have with someone, you're trying to make that person feel special, the, you know, compound interest of that over time, it may take a month, it may take a couple months before it starts building. But after a while, people will start talking about you behind your back, you'll start building a reputation, people want to refer you to people. As long as you stay consistent, it 100% will always be a long term strategy. Excellent. Thanks so much, man. Is there anything you want to leave us with? I think this is a great, this really paints a great picture of why likability is important, how to do it authentically, and why it's not just like a tactic. Right. Absolutely. You know, I'm one of the things that happened with me is that I, I was a very socially awkward person for a long time. So I would look at all these people who were charismatic or, you know, had all the charm in the world. And I would think that, well, I just wasn't born with it. I just don't have that. I'm not one of those genetically lottery winner people. The truth is, no matter what we want in this life, every single thing is learnable. Every single thing has a, has a strategy, it has a system behind it, it has a quote-unquote tactic behind it. So when we want to learn anything, if we want to become better looking, if we want to become smoother, obviously the art of charm is what you have under control, <laughs> you have to go to people like you, Jordan, to learn from it. So I, I just emphasize that to people so much. When people say, wow, you're so lucky you're confident, or oh wow, you're so lucky you have all this success. Every single thing can be broken down by someone who's smarter than you and can teach you how to do it. You just have to be able to be willing and coachable enough to say, I'm going to let my ego go and figure out how do I learn this? You know, listening to podcasts is a great way to get amazing free content. You can go to the library and get any book you want for free. And then sometimes you have to, you know, invest in yourself and make a big jump. But the investments I've made in myself have always paid the highest rates of return and I, I would just stress to anyone, if you want to change your life, if there's an area that you're sick and tired of, just know that there's a strategy and there's a way to become better. And all you have to do is commit to learning it. Excellent. Thanks so much, Errol Moody. We're going to have you linked up in the show notes as well. Really appreciate the time, man. You are a likable guy. Damn you. <laughs> and, and Jordan, you are quite the charmer. So I, I appreciate it. Thanks so <laughs> much, man. All right. Take it easy, brother. All right, I hope you guys dug that one. I'm really impressed with Darley. He's a really cool cat, and I love the fact that he came from the projects in Brooklyn and is now just crushing it. I mean, if he can do it, you guys can do it. Especially, I love the fact that he used likability as a key sort of valued and differentiator for himself as well when he didn't have a lot of the other resources that a lot of us are literally born into. So, I mean, if that doesn't speak towards what we teach here at The Art of Charm, then, then nothing will if that doesn't get through to you guys. Now, I love that likability isn't about being fake. It's all about being authentic and better understanding human nature. That really is something I strongly, strongly believe in. And I know that this stuff applies to client relationships, your work environment, as well as your personal life. Just being likable opens up many, many doors that you just cannot buy, you can't be born into, and honestly is the key to upward mobility, and Arlo's living proof of that. So I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed recording it. I will see you next time, and now let's wrap with a fashion tip from Aaron Marino. Due to popular demand, we got fashion tips from my man Aaron Marino from imalphaM.com. 
he's going to be dropping some knowledge on us to learn how to dress our best. All right, one thing I've got that I, I like recently, I have a lot of argyle socks, colorful socks, and things like that, but I, I do get a little bit chicken to wear them to really formal things. Am I, and sometimes I see other people doing it, but I feel like simple is better when you're trying to go, the more formal you get. Am I wrong here, or is there a trend in zany socks that are no, just No, you're silly? absolutely right. There is a trend in socks. You know, guys are, are playing around, experimenting, having fun with socks, but there definitely is a time and place. It's like it's like unprotected sex, right? It's like, Exactly. <laughs> there's a time and a place. Exactly. You can have fun, but you got to be careful. Exactly. And, and, you know, I always tell people that, that power players don't wear crazy socks. All right. If you're going into a meeting and you're really wanting to be taken seriously and exude that, that, that confidence and that dominance, you're not wearing crazy socks. Okay. You're going simple. You're going subdued. Um, you know, you're letting, you know, your, your presence speak for yourself as opposed to your socks. That's great. Cause so basically no rubber duckies with your suit. <laughs> no rubber duckies when you're going to the board meeting. Absolutely not. Excellent. For more from Aaron Marino, search for Alpha M on YouTube or go to imalphaM.com. Solid show as usual, if I do say so myself. Show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at jordanh at theartofcharm.com. Bootcamp details, that's our live training at theartofcharm.com. And that's also where you can find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for the Art of Charm podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's it. You guys can also help us. If you subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, give us a five-star rating and write something nice. We'll love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash The Art of Charm, and it'll take you right there. When you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily and get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing training from us. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything better than you found it. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 